blessings to all of you. Again, we welcome you to the house of the Lord. All those on YouTube and Facebook, online, we welcome you, welcome you, welcome you. I'm really excited about what God is doing on so many different levels. And for the brethren that are here, the announcement I just made, please pray for the rest of this week concerning next Sunday. Please pray that God will truly give us a breakthrough, not here only, but throughout this land. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning, verses 1 to 13. Verses 1 to 13. Moreover, brethren... I would not that you should be ignorant, and so please notice, I don't want you to be ignorant, I want you to understand what really took place. How that all our fathers were under the cloud of all, notice the word all, all passed through the sea. And were, notice again, all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Jesus, the Christ. But with many of them, here comes the contrast. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these were our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters. Those that worship idols. As we some of them, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication. Fornication is any sexual activity outside of marriage. Did you hear what I'm saying? Are you hearing me on YouTube? Any sexual activity outside of marriage is sin. Ah, oh, pastor, come on. Everybody's doing it, a little bit of this. Any sexual activity. Any Am I clear with this? Don't let me get graphic. Any is fornication. As some of them committed and fell one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us commit fornication. As we said, continue. Neither let us tempt Jesus, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Wow. Now all these things happen unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, here it is. And so having said all that, Paul says. And so, wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 
There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. Wow. What an incredible portion of Scripture. I think one of the greatest teachings here in the, in, in, in the book of Corinthians, one of the greatest, I've entitled this message very simply, just stop it. Stop it. What do I mean by that? Oh, let's, let, let's, let's, let's go on a safari this morning. As we look in our text, Paul reaches back into the Old Testament, which is his constant companion. And he wants to teach a very important lesson to the Corinthian people. He wants to give them some insight about what happened to his forefathers. And he explains certain things that ultimately brought their de demise. And he wants the Corinthians to understand what happened to these Hebrews. And he's warning them. He's using their lives as an example that they would follow. That they should not commit the same sins and the same problems. Do not do what they did. Just, just stop it, oh Corinthians. Because some of these Corinthians were doing the same things. And they thought they can get away with it. So Paul gives three elements here. He gives an illustration, application, and then finally an exhortation. Notice here the illustration. Paul zeroes in on the experience of the Hebrews in the wilderness as they traveled for 40 years wandering. Paul speaks about how blessed they were. How God met all their needs. How God protected them. How God did all kinds of signs and wonders. The blessings of God followed them constantly. And yet, despite all the blessings, they still refused to believe. They still refused to obey God after God continuously blessed them over and over and over again. And that's why I emphasize the word all. You heard me say, and all, and all, at least four times, they all passed through the wilderness. They all participated in the blessings. God protected them constantly, the pillar by cloud. By night, he led them with this fiery pillar. He brought shade from the sun. He brought food and bread from the sky. He even provided their clothing, that their clothing didn't wear out for 40 years. Man, I want to go to that store. I don't know where you buy clothes like that. But I, and the shoes didn't wear out. For 40 years, he fed them, led them, blessed them, took care of them. And all they did was complain. I know some children like that, you know. That. But all... They did was complain despite the blessings that God provided for his children over and over again. They were all baptized unto Moses, verse number two, which means they identified with Moses in what his experience 
is with God in their experiences of crossing over the Red Sea. They had great leadership. There was no leader like Moses on the face of the earth. And possibly never will be. No one had intimate revelation of God more than Moses. Nobody. Moses heard from God, saw him face to face. And yet, they even questioned his leadership. Can you imagine that? The point is, my brothers and my sisters, they were without excuse. They all participated together as one. God did everything he can do. He even gave them water from a rock. Can you imagine water coming from a rock? Just think about that. And of course, that's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is our living water. And he said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he says, if you're thirsty, come and drink. And I will give you this water. Everything God did for his people. But notice verse number five. But God was not well pleased. What a statement. You see, friends... As believers, our sole desire should be to please God. We should live in a way that pleases God. That's, that's what should be your desire. That should be my desire. Lord, when I, when I meet you one day, I want to hear those words, Well done, and thou good and faithful servant. I'm pleased with you. Come and enter into what I've provided for you. Come and enter into your rest, into your irini, your rest, your peace. Wow. And yet despite all of these blessings, despite the fact that God protected them constantly over and over again, only two entered into the promised land. Only two out of two million people approximately. Many scholars believe there was more than two million. Only two out of millions entered into the promised land. I want you to get hold of this reality. This, these were God's people. Yeah, 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 they all were baptized in his name. They all participated. They all crossed the Red Sea. They were all together in this. But only two of them entered in. The rest of them were disqualified. The rest of them died off. Only two. And now Paul is going to explain why this happened. He's going to give a teaching to explain to the Corinthians that they need to be careful, otherwise this can happen to them. Now, you're talking about Christians now in the church, okay? Well, I'm going to dispel some things this morning. But before we get into that, I want you to notice how Paul sets the tone about disqualification. Paul's theme is disqualification. Be careful. What is disqualification? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll begin at verse number 24. Listen to the words of Paul. Know ye not, the word know in the Greek means, it's an emphatic, it means to know with assurance. In other words, you know when you, say, when you say something like, well, you know, well, you know, kind of almost like you're not sure, but you know. No, no, this is a word that speaks of assurance. You know emphatically, I just want to set that straight. You know emphatically that they which run in a race run all, they're all running, so all the Israelites 
were delivered out of Egypt. You see, they all run, but one receives the prize. So run ye, that ye may obtain. Keep going. Keep going. Verse 25. That everyone that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. Watch this now. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Disqualified. It's another word for castaway. Now I want, I want to break it down. Brother, do you know what Paul is saying? I'll tell you what he's saying. He's saying, look, we're in this race. We're, we're, let's put it in, in the mindset of the Hebrew people now being delivered from Egypt. They all were baptized under Moses. They all came out together. We're all in a race. So you're going to run this race with all of your heart. You can't cross into the promised land half-hearted. you got to be diligent. You got to be careful how you run this race. Paul uses the word run as your journey. Paul uses the word running this race as your spiritual safari, your journey, your walk with God. This is a picture of your journey with God. And he says you can't walk or run this race or walk in this journey without being careful about certain things. In Hebrews 12 says, Paul, I believe it's Paul who wrote it, speaks about a race that is set before us that we are to run this race in a certain way. And we can't run this race half-heartedly. You've got to train for this race. And you've got to lay aside these weights that beset us, these hindrances that be, will, will beset us or hinder us from running these races. Whatever these weights are, you've got to make sure you get rid of them. Otherwise, you won't be able to run this race. We talk about that a lot. But it's also in the way you walk. So the race and the walk is the same thing. Your race speaks of this journey and your walk speaks of this journey. And Paul says, if I'm going to be successful, successful in running this race, if I'm going to be successful in walking this walk and this journey, that I'm, then I need to do something about it. There's no magic button. I can't press a button and have God do everything with me, for me, like God just to wave a magic wand and everything will be fine and I'm going to run this race with no hardships, no complications. God's going to do every single thing and I'm just going along for the ride. It doesn't work that way. That's already happened on the cross for your salvation. That very St. Paul said, listen, listen, brethren, you've got to work out your salvation now. Now you're saved by grace. There's nothing you can do that can inherit eternal life. There's nothing that you, do, you can do to earn your salvation. But there's something you can do on how you walk this walk and how you run this race. And Paul says, I've got to beat my body. What? 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 I've got to discipline myself so that I can run this race effectively. And we... So Paul is using an athletic term that I talk a lot about. Paul says, i got to train my body. I've got to be disciplined to train. And every athlete will tell you he's got to train in order for him to perform. You don't just start playing the, the hockey season come October. Everybody, There's a training that starts in August so you can play 
in October. Same with every sport. You train, you discipline, and, and as I mentioned, you seen Bolt was asked, how do you how do you work out? How do you perform? What do you do? He says, he says, it's amazing that I sweat night and day for four years just for a nine-second race. Training, discipline. An athlete must be disciplined or he will not be able to run the race effectively. So it is in the spiritual realm. There's no difference. If you're a Christian, there's some training to do. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. Paul says to train yourself. It's the Greek word gymnastiki, which is the English word for gymnasium or the gym. What do people normally do when they go to the gym? They work out. That's what Paul is saying. Spiritual workout. Praying, fasting, seeking Him, reading His Word, being disciplined in living a life that pleases God, walking down the straight and narrow way. That takes discipline, that takes focus, that takes training. You're not born spiritual, you're born carnal. The carnal side of you will always want to go astray. The carnal element for you will always do the things that are contrary to God. That's why Paul said, oh wicked man that I am. Oh wretched man, who shall deliver me? The wretched, we have our sin nature that keeps trying to rise up again. I think it was Martin Luther said, when I came to Christ, I thought my, my body drowned. I thought my body was dead. I didn't realize that every so often it tries to swim again. There's training. And the best trained Christians are the most spiritual. Make no mistake about it. You're not spiritual through osmosis. Oh, well, my, my mother is a, a prayer warrior. It doesn't matter. Do you know how many pastors' children I know that are Satanists? Or on the verge to be? Do you know how many godly people's children are now prostitutes on the street? Please don't tell me that spirituality comes because mommy and daddy or, or cousin aunt or uncle means aunt, God has no grandchildren. Only children who experience their own personal religion. Paul says, I got to train or, I'm, I, I'm, or my flesh will control me. That's what he's saying. And he sets the tone. And he gives four reasons why Israel were disqualified. And he says, I got to do the same, otherwise I'm going to be disqualified. This is the Apostle Paul saying, if I don't do what I'm telling you, I'm going to be disqualified from this race. Do you realize how incredible that is? And I'll have somebody rise up and say, Pastor, do you know, hold on a second. I can't get disqualified because God saved me and it's eternal. It's forever. And that's true. Theoretically, your salvation is eternal. Uh, the only problem, sir, is if you're not walking down the straight and narrow path, that eternal salvation that you think you experience, you might end up being a castaway if you're not careful. Four reasons, Paul says, why Israel failed. Four reasons why they didn't enter into the promised land. 
And these are the four reasons why you and I will not enter into the promised land if we commit them as a lifestyle. So I don't know who I'm talking to, but we're living in a day and age where you don't see much difference between the world and many of us who call ourselves believers. I've seen it everywhere I go, at weddings, on the streets, at gatherings. I have to ask myself, are you really? Uh, you're, you're a Christian? I, I, I can't tell. Can I, can I just say emphatically to somebody, maybe somebody on YouTube, Facebook, if you're a Christian and nobody knows, <clears throat> you're not a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you're like that salmon that's swimming up the current. Believe me, people will know because you live differently. You act differently. You speak differently. There's no way you can be a believer and be a secret agent. Reason number one they were disqualified was because of idolatry. Notice here, the Bible says in verse 7. Verse 7, look what it says. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What does that mean? Rose up to play. Idolaters. If you remember the setting, Moses went up to Mount Sinai. He was going to get the, the, the commandments from the Lord. And the Israelites encamped at the base of Mount Sinai. And the people were waiting for Moses. And they got a little bored. They got a little antsy. You know, sometimes God doesn't answer right away. And people get a little bored. Get a little bored. And they call, Aaron, we're bored. Can you make us a... Oh, I remember that. Yeah, we had this in Egypt. Can you make us a golden calf? The Egyptians used to worship the apis bull. Can you make us a calf? And let's, let's just begin to have some fun. We'll, we'll begin to worship it. Because along with worship, there was also some benefits. Like sexual immorality. They were, and so they were dancing and feet and reveling and partying and having sex. And all this is part of their worship. And it was a stench in the nostrils of God. And here comes Moses down the mountain as they're partying and having all kinds of debauchery. He throws the commandments and he says... Look, you want to do this? You want to worship false gods? You want to engage in sexual immorality, which is part of their worship? In Exodus 32, I believe it's the 26th verse in Folly, Moses says, look, who is on the Lord's side? And those who were on the Lord's side went to a certain place. The others who wanted to have fun and party and worship these false gods with the sons of Evi were all slain. 3,000 men died that day because of their idolatry. Listen, O Corinthians, Paul says, this can happen to you. Some of them were still holding on to the idolatrous gods. These, a lot of these were Greek Christians. The Greeks came from a lot of idol worship. They worshipped Zeus. They worshipped Aphrodite. Idol gods. Aphrodite, temple prostitution. Just, this is the same thing. These Egyptian gods evolved to the Greek gods, which they had fun and dancing and revelry. And some of these Greeks were still holding on to something. They wanted to serve Jesus and their gods at the same time. You can't serve Jesus and these gods at the same time. And you've heard me say this. I'm going to keep saying this. You can't be the bride of Jesus and the girlfriend of Satan at the same time. 
And so Paul is saying idolatry will bring you down as it did my forefathers. Idolatry, what is it? Is it just worshiping these statues? Oh, it's more than that. There is modern-day idolatry. What is idolatry? Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, somebody's on Facebook, you know, anything you love more than God is an idol. Your education could be an idol, sir. I know people, you know, and God bless them, they, they want to get the highest education, nothing wrong with education, but your education can be an idol. If it's all you focus on, all you care about, money can be an idol. Entertainment can be an idol. Sports can be an idol. Anything we value and love more than God. And let me just say, this is for free. Hey, listen, if Jesus is not valued above all, then he's not valued at all. So they want to play and dance and have this uh, uh, idol as their focus and, and have all the fun and games. But Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Number two, then they were disqualified because of immorality. Verse number eight, immorality. Paul moves out of Exodus into Numbers chapter 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now God told them they were supposed to keep clean, not to intermarry, not to have any sexual relationships with anyone. To have only sexual relationships with your mate, with your husband or your wife. And of course the Hebrews disobeyed. They wanted to intermarry. The men were attracted to the Moabite women. They're a little bit different. They got their hair styled differently. Oh, their clothes look oh, they're pretty enticing. And so, and so Aaron, son Phineas, sees a, a somebody in the very act of, of sexual depravity and he throws a spear and he right through his head and he kills him right there. God was so angry, 23,000 people died that day. 23,000 people. And the plague stopped. Twenty-three thousand were disqualified that day, all because of immorality. And the Corinthians had the very same problem. The Corinthian people had problems with immorality and homosexuality. In the Isle of Lesbos in Greece, many people believe that the, the, the act or the, of lesbianism took course. And, and, and kind of flourished on this island that permeated the rest of the world. Alexander the Great's men, a lot of them were homosexuals. And they would practice and engage in homosexuality. And he would also want them to have affairs with each other. So that they can really care for each other when they're fighting the battles. Can you believe that? Homosexuality was running. We think it's bad now. It's always been bad. It's always been horrific. That curse, that sin has always been in our world. And so they struggled. And Paul says, look, you got to be careful, O Corinthians. Did you know the Bible 
speaks about two sins that you're not supposed to mess with. In fact, the Bible talks about running. The Bible says you got to flee from the sin. you you got to run. you got to get away from it. You don't want to have any entertainment with this kind of sin. You know what kind of sin I'm talking about? Men, you better listen to me. It's the sin of immorality and it's the sin of idolatry. The Bible says, I don't want you even to entertain it. I don't want you to think about it. And if it's coming to you, you better get out of there. So stop watching what you're watching on TV. Stop watching what you're watching on your computer when nobody's looking and you think you're getting away with it. Run! Well, yeah, Pastor, it's just, you know, it's just, uh, you know, so she's dressed that way, doesn't If you just dress that way, leads to walking this way, leads to walking that way. The Bible says, don't entertain it. Don't compromise about it. Don't start thinking about it. Don't start muting. Get the heck out of there. Run! That's why Joseph was such a wise man. He understood that. See, Samson, he was the very opposite of Joseph. Samson thought, "Ah, no big deal. I'm God's judge. I'm invincible. I can do what I want. And Samson succumbed to every physical lust he had, but not Joseph. Even when Joseph was caught off guard, when Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce him and have sexual relations, she even grabbed him by the coat. He was so, he understood what it means to flee. He got up and he started to run away. He even lost his coat. He'd rather lose his coat than lose his character. I'll tell you, any day you run. So men, you get out of there. And ladies, by the way, you're not innocent either. You run too. So we got all the men, all the men get the blame of this. All these. Let me tell you, women are just as bad in some cases. So let's just be honest with each other. I don't want to tell you stories, but there's a lot of them. Run! Number three, they were disqualified because of infidelity. Verse number nine. This is Numbers 21 also. Infidelity. The Israelites accused God and charged him with being unfaithful. Charged God of being a big meanie. A party pooper. Charge God, oh, you just don't want us to have fun. You ever hear that? Well, oh, you Christians, you just don't want us to have fun. Oh, really? They accuse them to be unfaithful. You see, they didn't like the Lord's food. How dare you give us manna, Lord? That's tasteless stuff. We want quail. We want some meat. We want. And Lord, by the way, by the way, Lord, you're not a very good cook because. The leeks and the onions and the cucumbers in Egypt. Oh, we can never forget how tasty they were. Uh, They seemed to forget that they were slaves, but they remembered the food they ate. (laughs) Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. They accuse God that God doesn't care for them, that God doesn't want them to eat properly. 
Oh, and one day they woke up and there were snakes all around them and many died. And God instructed Moses, Moses, make a serpent out of, uh, out of brass and, and put it on a cross of sorts and lift it up. And anybody who gazes upon this serpent will be healed. Of course, that's a picture of Jesus who was raised up on a cross. And anybody who gazes upon him gets healed. And by the way, friend, that still applies to us today. Just look into the eyes of Jesus. Give your life to just look to him. He's the answer to every sin. And you would be healed he said and, and many 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 died that day many were disqualified and so this can happen to you and to me through infidelity infidelity you're not faithful to God you got, you're faithful to other gods you're faithful to other things infidelity why do you think God is so strong and so concerned about marriage marriage speaks of unity of being of being loyal to each other. And when you commit adultery against your wife or your husband, it breaks the marriage. But that's what we do to God almost every day and we're not even aware of it, some of us. We're not faithful to Him. We're not loyal. We have other gods that we don't know. We have other loyalties and other desires that far exceed our desire for God. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? I'll tell you how I know. Whatever you make time for is the things you love. And so we have no problem making time to, to wake up early to go and... Uh, and play golf. We have no time waking up early and, and making sure that we catch the plane because I got a flight to Cancun at 6.30 in the morning. And so I got no problem planning for my vacations and my fun and I got to strategize and I got I to gotta sacrifice this and I got to sacrifice that. But, 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 but we, can't, we can't attend a prayer meeting because I've got no time. My God... We always make time for the things we love. Finally, they were disqualified for ingratitude. Verse number 10. Verse number 10. Watch this, watch this. Verse number 10. Look what it says. Neither mur what? Neither murmur. Oh, there's that wonderful word again. Ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Murmured. Now, you've, those who've heard me preach more than three times will know what I'm going to say. What is complaining and murmuring? The devil's... No, the devil's worship. So when you are in the process of complaining and murmuring, and be, this is the spirit of complaining, the spirit of murmuring. You know, there's some people that it's a spirit. They keep complaining. They, they, they're never satisfied. They always look for a hair in the pie. They're always murmuring and complaining about this, about that. This is what I'm talking about. Ingratitude. Ingratitude. This refers to Korah. Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, right up to verse 22. They were complaining about the leadership. Moses, who do you think you are? Pastor Julio, who do you think? Pastor Melody, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I've, I've got just as much experience as you. I know the word of God maybe even better than you, said the sons of Korah, the priest. Oh, I'm not going to listen to you. You're no better than me. I know better than you. And they complained about the leadership shooting the messenger 
They didn't like the message, so they're shooting the messenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Moses says, okay, okay. All right. You're questioning my authority? Fine. That's okay. I'm not going to justify myself. I'm not going to defend myself. Don't ever defend yourself. Let God defend you. And so Moses says, okay, we'll see who's got the authority. I, if it's not me, that's fine, but we'll see. And so you get a group and hang around the tent over here. I'll have another group that will hang around the tent over there. Those that are pro-Moses and those that are not. And we'll find out. And the next morning, boy, they found out all right. They sure did. Here we see the first earthquake recorded in Scripture. The Bible says that a great earthquake came and swallowed up Abraham, Korah, and Dothan. And the next day there was no question, no doubt about it. Moses was vindicated. Hundreds, I think 600 people died that day. And so Paul is saying, look, some of you Corinthians are ungrateful. You are disloyal. You are unappreciative. You're complaining. You're murmuring. Be careful. Well, how do I know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, hold on a second. I'm of Cephas. I believe what Peter said in the scriptures. Someone else rose up. No, I'm of Apollos. Read it for yourselves. I believe what Apollos says. His teachings are better. Well, you know nothing. I'm smarter than you. I'm more spiritual than you. Some say, well, hold on. I'm of Paul. Paul, you know, he got the revelation. Paul, he's the man of God. Peter is all right and Apollos is okay. But Paul's the man. And then somebody has the audacity to say, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you know you're causing division? Is anybody of Christ? <laughs> Is there anybody of Jesus in this room? And there was division after division. Little splinter groups in the church. They didn't want to follow any kind of re authority or responsibility. They were doing their own thing. And it almost destroyed the church. Disobedience through idolatry, immorality, infidelity, and ingratitude. And that's why the Bible says in Romans chapter uh, 1, that's why it says in Colossians that those that, that are godless are ungrateful. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 1, you can read, I believe it's verse 21, because they were thankless and did not appreciate and serve God, they served rather the creator, a creation rather than the creator, and they didn't appreciate God, God turned them over to a reprobate mind. Do you know that thanklessness is the sign of our times? Ungratefulness. And we're living in a world that's plagued with ungratefulness. Plagued. Filled. And so we need to ask all of us, this morning, everyone here in this room and those on the internet, what happens if we do the same things? What will happen? What happened, first of all, to our forefathers? What happened to these men? And maybe I can see something for myself this morning. What happened to these men? Three things happened to these people. I'll give you some principles that begin with P. Watch this. We're breaking it down this morning. He removes... Our power of influence. He removed their power of influence. Those that were disqualified, the Bible said they died off. 
Couldn't influence anybody anymore. Korah, Dothan, Ibrahim, and all the others. He removed their power of influence. And that's important for us to understand. That's exactly what happened to Samson. Samson said, I can do whatever I want. I'm a judge. Okay, Mr. Pastor, you can do whatever you want. Because God's using you, you say. Signs and wonders, beautiful, Mr. Samson. And so Samson wants to marry anybody he wants to marry. Wants to have sex with anybody he wants to sense. I'm God's man. I've got the power. I'm the strongest man on the face of the earth. And so one day Samson says in, first, uh, in Judges chapter 14, let me go to Timnah and there I'm going to meet a Philistine woman because I want to marry her. Disobedience after disobedience. And then of course here comes Delilah. Oh, I thought the woman at Timnah was nice. But Delilah, she's even better you see, lust only produced more lust. And so the heterosexual man who's having sex with all these women one day says to himself, is there something more that I can be gratified with? Let me try same-sex marriage. You'll be amazed how many so-called homosexuals started off as heterosexuals, but it wasn't enough. They wanted another experience. Oh my God. So Samson says to himself one day after Delilah, Delilah finds his secret. And all of a sudden, as he's in Delilah's lap, oh, oh the church better be careful that you find yourself uh, never in Delilah's lap. Uh, my God. And so he's in Delilah's lap sinning, sinning. And all of a sudden the Philistines come upon him. And he thinks he's going to destroy them like he used to. Yeah, all of a sudden he attacks them and he realizes, wait a minute, I've lost my power. Sin will cause you to lose your power, your strength, your performance is weakened. The Spirit of God will not always strive with man, the Bible says. He was disqualified. And there are many in this world in our lifetime that we've seen God removing their performance and their power and I don't mind making names because it's, it's there and we all know Jimmy Swaggart most of us have heard of Jim Baker and there's many more I saw, Jim, I saw Jimmy Swaggart on television not too long ago in one of these Christian broadcasts and I'm telling you I couldn't believe what I saw a mere shell of what he used to be he's not the same something's changed God will remove your, that power, that anointing will not be there. You can't play games with God. You really can't. They were disqualified. You see, they lost their fear of God. Jim Baker was asked by John Bevere, a well-known pastor, preacher, author. Jim Baker, what happened to you? Why, 
why don't you love God anymore? What, what, what happened during those days? He says, he said, I, I, I love, I've always loved God. Really, I've always loved God. That wasn't my problem. Then what was your problem, Jim Baker? My problem was I stopped fearing God. See, if you don't fear God, then you don't care about walking on that straight and narrow path. You don't fear God, you do whatever you want because you think you're going to get away with it. They were disqualified. God took away their performance, power. Number two, then he takes away not only your power, but your performance. There are times that God removes certain things from your ministry. Yeah, your ministry leaves you. Your, your, his power leaves you. Your performance, in other words, your ability to minister. That anointing I mentioned. It, 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 it's no longer the same. He removes your power. He removes your performance. And number three, he will remove your presence. Three Ps. Your power, your performance, and your presence. Don't believe me. Read the scriptures. Samson, look what happened to him. Look what happened to those that were against Moses. Look what happened to those in the wilderness. They were all disqualified. He removes it. Korah was swallowed up by an earthquake. Those that were bitten by the serpents all died in the wilderness. They were all disqualified. What did Jesus say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? This, the context was the Lord's Supper. Elaine, do you want to read it for me? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I believe, just, I forget what verse it is. I, mm, no, they were sleeping. They all slept. That one. It's right after, it's right after, do this in remembrance of me. So they came to the Lord's Supper and they took it without any reverence. They did whatever they wanted to do. They went through the motions. They participated in the Lord's Supper. And what did Paul say? You can't do that. Without examining yourself first. Paul says examine yourself. Because some of them are slit. Some of them have died. Not taking the Lord's Supper worthily. Is that not true? Can you stand up and read it? Here you go. Here's the mic. Oh. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread. And drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily. Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause... Many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Some get sick because of your and my walk, and some die. Look, I, I'm not saying that. The, but they were disqualified. Acts chapter 5, what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? What happened to them, Rick? Why? They lied and withheld. Oh, I know you don't hear this much today. And there I can hear somebody somewhere say, Ah, pastor, stop using your fear tactics. I can hear it. Stop preaching all this, this legalism, Pastor Dino. You know, we, we, we don't want any of this legalism. We're free now. And when the sun sets free, is free. Free to do what? Free to do whatever you want to do? 
wrong. Paul addressed it in Galatians. Oh, you started off in the spirit. Now you're ending up in the flesh because you're free. Yeah, yeah. You started the race so well. You did really well. But, but, but who hath bewitched you and cut you off? I don't know who I'm speaking to. I really don't know who I'm speaking to. But I know I'm speaking to somebody. And so here we have the illustration. My second point is the application. Verses 6 to 11. This tells us that it isn't just ancient history. Paul brings this historical event for an example for us today not just for the Corinthians you see brother this is not just Bible for the Hebrews and the Corinthians this is for us today this teaching applies to Logos applies to you sir watching on Facebook applies to everyone today the Bible today is not given to us merely for information it's given to us for transformation Paul says it was an example for us, so we can listen to, so we can observe and do. All these things for, was an illustration so that we can apply it in our own lives. To observe, to learn, so we won't make the same mistakes and fall into the same traps. This is the value of studying history. This is the value of studying God's word. Whoa, God, I need to hear it. So we have the illustration. We have the application. We must apply it to ourselves. And number three, Paul now gives an exhortation. Exor illustration, application, exhortation. Verse number 12. Verse number 12. Take heed lest ye fall. The problem, these Jews, they thought they stood no matter what they thought they were. They, they thought they were invincible like Samson because they were God's chosen people I'm God's chosen people we don't have to live like you oh you Gentiles because God chose us I belong to Logos I don't have to live I've been baptized in water I don't have to I just, I'm baptized my father's a pastor my uncle's an evangelist and so we base our spirituality on our pedigree like the Jews we're chosen they all passed through the Red Sea, didn't they? That's why I kept emphasizing all. They all were protected. They all had the provision. But they all fell too. Except two. Except two that wanted to be different. Except two that said, no, I'm not going to follow you. Oh, my friends, don't, don't, don't follow the majority. The, sometimes the majority is all. Listen, it's the minority. So look, look, one with God is a majority. You don't have to follow the crowd, my friend. have to follow the crowds only two only two they all passed but only two they all fell why a false sense of security a false sense of that's what's going to happen before Jesus comes again peace it's all peace and all of a sudden Jesus comes false 
sense of security. That was the problem with the Pharisees in John chapter 8. Jesus, how dare you come and talk to us about God? We're the children of God. We're, we're the sons of Abraham. And Jesus threw at them John 8, 44. You're not the children of Abraham. You're the children of the devil. <sighs> Can you imagine what they felt? Can you imagine what they felt? How in, how indignant they began. How dare you talk? Jesus said, I don't care if your father is Abraham. You're not saved because of your pedigree. You're not saved because you belong in a pastor's home. You're not saved because you went to Bible college. You're not saved because you attend Logos five times a week. What's the problem with the Hebrews? That was the problem with the Corinthian church too. False sense of security. Oh my friends, never trust our privileges over the truth of God's word. Paul says to these Corinthians, just because you are baptized in Christ just because you're members of the Corinthian church. Oh, there's a big one right here. Just because 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you've got the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge and wisdom and casting out of demons and miracles. That doesn't necessarily mean you're saved. Oh, you, it, it could be. You're not safe. And all those gifts you have, and you think, look how great you are because you got all those gifts. I must be right with God. I can do whatever I want. Oh, I know I'm speaking to somebody now. Didn't Jesus say, wait a minute. Didn't we, Jesus, didn't we come and cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And he says something that, ah, yeah, uh, you did all that, but you know what? I don't know you. I don't know who you are. Don't have a relationship with me. I've given you those gifts, but you still don't know me. False sense of security. You see, friends, that doesn't mean you are excused from living godly. I don't care how many gifts you have. Or how you walk, or how you live, or how you run. There is still a narrow path that you and I still have to walk on. I don't care if you speak in tongues. And I don't care if you prophesy. If you're not walking down that straight and narrow path, it's not going to get you anywhere. Oh, I know this isn't popular. Okay. I'm not going to sell many tapes if I would preach if ta tapes ever existed. I know they stopped. I might not get many views this morning. I don't care. But it's the truth. I 
So despite the fact that they saw the miracles, tasted the spiritual food, saw the power, all the miracles. They were disqualified. Because they kept a link to Egypt. They didn't cut the umbilical cord. They were not walking down the straight and narrow. They wanted Egypt and God at the same time and it doesn't work. How many are watching daily devotions? I don't, I don't want to put up your hand, just a rhetorical question. I'm talking about the churches. We're going into the two, two chapters that speak of the rapture and tribulation. That's my purpose of this, of this series. Two out of the seven churches were following Christ. Two out of the seven. Two out of the seven. And in Revelation 3.5, Jesus says something that, that I used to be fearful of, that I understand now more than ever. He says, if you don't repent, O Laodicea, I will blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. That word blot means to erase. You're disqualified. I don't know how you, Mr. Eternal Security, can think that once you're saved, you're always saved. If you're not walking down that straight and narrow path, I don't care how often you speak in tongues, it's not going to get you anywhere. I'm just being straight with you. How many times did Jesus say, I will remove the candlestick, I will remove my presence in, uh, from this church if you don't repent? How many times do we see that in Revelation? It's over and over and over again. So Jesus is not teaching another doctrine. Pastor, you're teaching a, a fearful doctrine. You're teaching a doctrine that, that that's not you. I'm teaching a doctrine that Jesus spoke on. He said it, not me. I will remove if you don't. I will if you don't. If you, there's always a choice. A choice. A choice. A choice. A choice. We have a choice. What am I going to do? I've got a choice. I've got a choice. And so what is the result? They were disqualified. What do you think Jesus said to strive to enter into the kingdom? I've got to work things. I've got to walk. So what's the lesson? The verdict is in, brothers and sisters, for us today here at Logos 2023, coming in 24. Listen, 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 listen. In this culture of pride and arrogance, rebellion, in our culture of being politically correct, a culture of emails, internet, and computers, in our culture where wokeism is rising, rising each and every day. In this culture, I have a word for you and for me. Take heed lest ye fall. Look. Oh, Pastor, here you go again. I'm going to tell you, and I've said this before, and I'm going to tell you why I believe God's called me to preach the gospel. I'm no prophet, for sure. I'm not the son of a prophet, for sure. But I'll tell you what I believe I am. I'm called to get you and me Ready. Because the bridegroom is coming. And if your gown is soiled, can you imagine having a groom waiting for his bride to come and he looks and he sees his bride, his dress, her dress is cut up, it's soiled, her hair is all disheveled. No, no, he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. 
I got to get ready. My, my clothes might be soiled, but that's not too late for me. Because Paul finally says one word here in verse 13 that we want to close with. He says something to encourage me. So far, everything seems so discouraging. So you might say, well, Pastor, is there any hope in all of this? If only two made it, is there any hope for me? That's why David said, search me, O Lord, and see if there's any. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs, for guard your heart. Protect yourselves from these, these roots, the bitterness and envy and jealousy that will disqualify you if you keep walking that path. Guard, 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 guard your heart. Is there any hope for me? Yes, there is. Here we come now. He reaches the crescendo of his teaching in verse 13. One of the greatest scriptures. Hath, hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above all that you are able. But will with that temptation also make a way of escape. Paul says something to consider. He gives a word of encouragement. If only two made it. Here's the hope. Here's what can set you apart. Verses 1 to 12 keeps us from getting too high. Be careful. Verses 1 to 12 helps us to, to, to get on that path and say, Listen, I don't care how spiritual you think. I don't care if you got all these gifts. Be careful. Take heed. But verse 13 keeps us from getting too low. Verses 1 to 12 helps us from getting too high. Verses 13 helps us from getting too low. Because the devil will come to you and he'll come to you to bring you down. But then he'll come to you and tell you how great you are that you, you can do whatever you want because you know you're, you're chosen. And he'll do whatever he can to get you off that path. So Paul gives us verse number 13. And I'm going to close with these three principles that begin with E. And so what I want to share is this. Listen to me. Verse number 13. What is Paul saying? He said, look, look we've all been tempted. That's, that's the theme. The, the Israelites were tempted in the wilderness. So Paul continues with temptation. He says, look, every temptation that our forefathers went through and what you're going through right now has purpose. It's common. Everyone goes through temptation. There has no See, why would Paul mention temptation in verse 3? Because that was the backdrop for verses 1 to 12. They were tempted in the wilderness. So Paul says, okay. That temptation, look, all of us go through temptation. And someone says, well, pastor, you don't know the pressure I went through, and that's why I sinned. And so, many times, we will justify our sin because of temptation, because of, 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 of the circumstances. And we say, but you don't understand what I'm going through, Pastor. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I had no, 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 no other choice but to succumb. There is no temptation that's common for everyone. All of us, every single one of us are going to be tempted. Don't think it's strange, First Peter chapter 4, that the fiery trials of your faith, that you're being tested by the fiery trials. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not if or perhaps, shall suffer persecution. 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, 
First, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse uh, 29 says, It is not enough to believe in Him, but to suffer and go through tests. That's what it means. Tests. Not enough to believe, but to go through suffering and tests. We will go through suffering. We will go through tests. And of course, it's how we respond to those tests and those trials that will determine our destiny, my friend. It is not uniquely for you and me. Abraham went through tests. Job went through tests. Elijah went through tests. Paul went through tests. Even Jesus was tempted in Hebrews 4 in all matter points, yet without sin. It's not sin to be tempted. If sin means you're tempted, means sin, then Jesus sinned. Jesus didn't sin, he's God. But he, was, but he didn't yield. You see, the sin is yielding into your temptation. The sin is yielding into your temptation. Can I say? The sin is yielding. Not going through it, but yielding. That's the sin. No, the Bible never says you're not going to be tempted. In fact, the opposite. Be sober, vigilant, because the devil comes seeking those that he wants to devour. So temptation is common to every single one. Number two, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to suffer above what you can endure. So my first E is that it's for everyone. Everyone will be tempted. It's not chosen few. It's all of us. Number two, God gives us a promise. He's not going to allow you to suffer or to go through something that you can't endure. He limits it because he's in control. He knows what my limitations are. He knows my level, my capacity, and he won't let me go beyond my capacity. In Second Peter chapter 2 verse 9, it says the same thing. And so the Bible always confirms the Bible. Second Peter chapter 2 verse number 9 says the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So he knows how to deliver. He knows the right time to do what needs to be done. It's not based on your feelings because I'll have somebody say to me, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You have no idea. I don't know. But and I'm just going to... Listen, listen, listen. It's not based on your feelings this limitation. You might think you're at your wit's end, but God knows whether you're really at your wit's end. You might think, I can't take it anymore! And you might be right. That's what your emotions are telling you. That's what your feelings are telling but, you. But God knows exactly when that time is. That's the difference. Don't bow down to your emotions. Oh, pastor, if only you knew my, my, my situation. I, I, I don't know your situation. I know one thing, that God won't cause you to go to a point and to a place where you're going to explode. He will limit that temp at the right time, something will happen. So hold on. It's not based on what I think I can bear. No, no, no. He knows my name. He knows my thoughts. He sees my tears. He knows where I live. He sees my makeup. He knows who I am. He knows 
how much I can handle. And there's purpose for what I'm going through. He knows how much I can endure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then this time of temptation, number three, not only will he help us endure, not only is it for everyone, but number three, here it is, there was a certain great escape. There's going to be an escape. In that, in that moment of death that you think, that moment of trial, in that moment of temptation, something's going to happen. You will find a way of escape. You're going to get through this. When thou passest through the waters, you will not drown. When you pass through the fires, you will not burn. I will make a way of escape through the fires. I'm going to make a way of escape through the floods. Something is going to happen. The word escape in the Greek is the word eskabasis. And that means to lighten the load. It's what we get in Acts 27 verse 17 and 19 when Paul had this huge a storm and they had to get rid of stuff. They had to lighten their load from the ship so they can continue to sail. Throwing things off board. It's the same thing that we just talked about. Laying those weights that so easily besets us. Get rid of these weights. Get rid of this excess baggage. Paul saying, whenever we find ourselves in a storm, he's getting, he's getting our attention and we need to get rid of certain things. We have to lighten the load so we can continue to persevere. Number two, and this is what's exciting, the word also escape means a mountain pass that's discovered. Remember, the Greek language is very descriptive. It speaks of a mountain pass that you didn't see. It speaks of a tunnel you didn't see. It speaks of a way out you didn't perceive because I'm still the way maker you may not find a way out but I got a way out that you don't see I've got a window that you think is closed that's about to open you don't see it but I'm about to do it so hold on it's a way of an escape it's it, it's a mountain pass what's the point when a troop surrounds you the enemy surrounds you and you think you're done you think you're overthrown just like the great 300 uh, of the Spartans that were surrounded by the Persians they found no way out they were secluded surrounded they saw no no place of victory when you find yourself surrounded and there doesn't seem to be any hope and the enemy is on your right and the enemy is on your left and you can't see a way out and here's what the Bible says here it says all of a sudden somebody comes up to you in the midst of your battle it's a sudden thing and all of a sudden you see this is this door that just opened and you didn't see it before and he just you just walk through it. That's what it means in the Greek. It's a free pass. It's a way to escape. You didn't see it before. But I've made something. All of a sudden, something happened. Well, you can get through this. My friends, he's still able to do it. He's still able to secure them who love him. If a sea couldn't stop Moses, if a wall couldn't stop Joshua, if a giant couldn't stop David, if death couldn't stop Jesus, then no situation, no demon in hell can stop you, my friend. Let me tell you, he did it then and he can do it again. If he told the walls of Jericho to fall, and they did, he will do it again. If he told the chains where to break, and he did, he can do it again. If he 
told the bones in Ezekiel's grave to rise, he could do it again. And he did. And if he told Lazarus to rise and get out of that grave, and he did, then he can do it again, my friend. And so and so, what is God doing? So what, what, what is he doing? How do I respond to such great love? How do I respond to this escape? How do I respond to his word? How do I respond to a merciful God? Yes, he'll allow me to go through things, but, but he allows me to go through things for my betterment, for me, for me personally, because he loves me. How do I, he'll find a way of an escape. How do I respond with this truth? How do I respond when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Can I praise him? Can I praise him while I'm in hell? Can I praise him while I'm going through a difficult time, knowing the fact that God hasn't abandoned me, knowing the fact that God has made a way of an escape for me. Can I praise him while I'm while I'm on that bed, while I'm suffering with my kidneys? Can I praise him? Can I praise him when I'm all alone and nobody's around me? Can I praise him when my money's gone? Can I praise him? Can I praise him on the gravesite when I just love the loved one? Can I can I praise him? Because some of you can't. Because some of you can't. I don't know who I'm speaking to, but God is able. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God is able. God, I, I, I might feel weak and broken, but I'm going to still praise him. I might feel worn out and discouraged, but I'm going forward. I'm going to still praise him. I might be in a storm this morning, but I'm going forward. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him because even if I can't trust him, even if I think I can't trust him, and if I certainly can't trace him, I'm going to go down deep and I'm going to say, Hallelujah, God's going to make a way for me, whether I'm in the pit or the palace, whether I'm in the dungeon or delight, yeah, yeah, whether I'm in the penthouse or the doghouse, I'm going to praise him and I'm going to give him the glory yes because 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 i know he has a way of an escape for me i know whom i've believed in and i'm persuaded that he is able brothers and sisters just because life has shocked you and me it hasn't shocked god he knows what's going on. He, he's in control of all things. Listen, you're not dealing with a weak, lethargic, frustrated God made out of stone or wood, some idol. No, no, no. Or a God who's on some life support who can't breathe. No, no, he's the almighty El Shaddai, El Elyon, the mighty God of heaven. There's nothing he cannot do. Listen, I know there's wars all around us. I know that Hamas and Hezbollah are threatening. I know now, apparently China now. China's getting into the action as the Bible prophesies. They're getting in the action and they want to help Hezbollah out. They want to help uh, even Hamas. They want to help the cause of the Palestines. Russia's involved. Oh, friends, Bible prophecies. It's all happening. Russia's involved. They're with Iran. They're with these Arab nations. Now China wants to get involved. Look at the news. And now the Euphrates River has dried up. Revelation 9 was prophesied so that, that this nation coming from the east that, that has 200 million soldiers, only China can do that. It could, could traverse, can cross the Euphrates River because now it's dried up. Look at the timing. It's never dried up before. Now they can cross through right into Israel. Oh my friends, something's about to happen. But this doesn't shock God. He's the immutable, unchanging God. <sighs> he 
He's the one who can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. So you asked, what do I do? I got to rejoice. I got to rejoice and trust him. Habakkuk 3.17 tells me if the figs are dried and the stalls are empty, I still got to praise them. I, then I got to remain steady. I rejoice. I got to be steady. I got to keep trusting him. I got to keep down that straight and narrow path. I, I can't turn to my right. I can't turn to my left. I got to keep steady. I got to rejoice because there's a way of escape. I got to keep steady because the Bible says to me, I got to walk down that straight and narrow. I got to keep my eyes on Jesus. I got to keep going forward. I've got to endure to the end. And then number three, I got to retreat from certain sins. That's what Paul teaches us. I got to flee from fornication. I got to flee from idolatry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to flee from all these horrible things. And so despite all the miracles, despite all of God's provision, they lusted to go back to Egypt. They lusted to go back to Egypt only two survived the rest were disqualified what's my point what's my final point they never reached their potential they never reached their potential like some of us do you know much potential you have that you haven't reached yet I gotta close, I gotta close. I've been preaching too long already. So far I don't see anybody sleeping. Maybe there's one or two, but that's okay. I'm closing. 1218, that's not too bad. Is that bad? No. Gotta close. We have to make choices, brothers and sisters. This narrow path isn't easy. Don't let anybody tell you this is an easy road. It's not. Because you're like that salmon that's swimming up the current. Choose you this day, Joshua said. Elijah said, how long will you be between two opinions? Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your heart. Being in debt is hard. Being disciplined financially is hard. Choose your heart. Communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your heart. Life will never be easy. It will always be Hard. So choose your heart, my friend. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Years ago, an American Indian found an eagle's egg and put it in a nest of a prairie chicken. Prairie chicken is like, um, it looks like a chicken, but it lives in the prairies back in the day. They're extinct now. But they used to be what they called prairie chickens. The eaglet hatched with a brood of these prairie chickens and they grew up with them all of its life. 
And this eaglet that hatched did exactly what the prairie chickens did. He scratched in the dirt, searched for corn and seeds and insects. And when he tried to fly, he only went a few feet because that's what the other chickens were doing. And that's what he believed, that that's all he could do. You see, the, the limitations that he had was because the prairie chicken's limitations, and so he adopted that. Well, years passed by, and one day he looked up in the sky and he saw a magnificent bird, feather-stretched one, flying so majestic. He looked at the other chickens and he asked the head chicken, he asked Mr. Head Chicken, Say, Mr. Head Chicken, Mr. President, what is that bird? What is that bird up there? Ah, ah, that, that is a mighty eagle. But, 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 but don't you ever think that you can do what this eagle does because you're just a prairie chicken. That's all you'll be or will ever be. You will never be like that, so don't even try. And guess what? The eaglet never gave it another thought. And he died eventually believing that he was a prairie chicken. So what's the point, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. What he thought about himself was completely controlled by those who were around him. And his potential for what he could be was never realized. Oh, goodness, what a waste. A waste because God designed it that little eaglet, to fly into the highest of heavens. He was designed for greatness to fly higher than any other bird. He was designed that he can fly even above the storm. Designed to have eyes that can see two miles long, wide. Designed to fly higher because his lung capacity was different. And yet, he plucked for worms and scratched the dirt, cackling because he believed he can do no better. Oh, as a man thinketh in his heart. My friends, you will do the very same thing if you don't see yourself as God sees you. You are God's divine creation created in his image. You are his workmanship. You were designed... For spiritual height. There's nothing in you that has great destiny. It's all God. God has given you this purpose. God has given you this destiny. Jeremiah tells us he's given us an expected end. He knows the thoughts and plans for you to give you hope, to give you purpose, to give you are his masterpiece, Ephesians 2. You are his joint heir, Romans 8. You are seated with him in heavenly places, Ephesians. You got royal blood flowing through your body, Peter. You you are royal priesthood. There's something unique about you. There's something special about you. You've got royal blood flowing through your veins. You are kings and priests, Revelation 1-7. There is something about you that sets you apart from the rest of the earth. You are God's divine eagle. Stop living like a prairie chicken. Just stop it.
Your future is far greater than you can possibly imagine. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their feet. Rise up. Rise up. Stop living beneath your blessings like the Israelites. Acting like a prairie chicken picking at the dirt. Now take off for the heavens. Set your affections on things above. Yes, with the wings of faith. Take off into your destiny, my friends. It's time to rise. It's a new day. God is doing something special. Israel forgot who they were. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He me, how He me, to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, what He's done for me, who he is for me, how he loves me, how he set me free, makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. You made an escape for me. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor. Let's all stand together, please. I know it's late. Some of you have to go. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Don't forget next Sunday. I, I, I can't emphasize the importance of next Sunday. It's probably my most important sermon. I, I think it is, to be honest. Bring your friends, your neighbors, your family. You bring, you shout it out. You bring them all in. God's about to do something powerful in our world. I'm telling you, friends, we are on the cusp. We're on the brink of something powerful. It's time to be a prairie chicken. It's time to spread your wings.